Uh, we are continuing uh, our series through the book of Psalms. And as we've been talking about, the Psalms are these amazing songs of prayer and worship that kind of reflect what a life of faith looks like, both inside and out. And in our series, we've been exploring especially what God's kingship on our inner life looks like, how he wants to shape our emotions, our desires, how we view the world around us. And last week, Pastor Eric began to talk about the wisdom psalms. And we just wanted to spend uh, two weeks, last week and this week, talking about this particular category of psalm. And you know, they're not necessarily the most exciting or dramatic psalms. They don't have the same level of emotion uh, that some of the psalms we'll get to later in the series have. But we wanted to start here because these psalms lay a foundation for an inner life that's submitted to God. Now, if any of you have ever played a sport or an instrument and gotten to any level of skill in that, you're probably familiar with the concept of muscle memory. And muscle memory is something that develops over time when you practice something repeatedly, like shooting free throws or playing an electric guitar solo or cornering on a mountain bike. And the more you practice, the more your body begins to memorize the rhythm, the feel of what you're doing. It becomes a, a habit and something that's just deeply ingrained in your body and how you move and in what you do. And so you stop having to think about what you're doing and your body just kind of takes over. Muscle memory is especially important when you're in a super stressful situation, when you're anxious or nervous or stressed or scared. So if there's five seconds left in the fourth quarter and it's a tie game and you're standing at the free throw line, you can't breathe and your palms are sweaty, you need that muscle memory to carry you through. If you're standing in front of hundreds of people and your, your guitar solo is coming up and you're feeling really nervous, you're going to be thankful for that muscle memory in your fingers. If you're hurtling down a trail at 20 miles an hour and you see a sharp turn coming up and you start to panic, again, that muscle memory is going to come in handy. And in a way, I think the wisdom psalms are trying to help us develop spiritual muscle memory. They're reminding us of patterns of thinking, patterns of feeling that should be ingrained in our soul, that define how we understand and interact with God and the world around us. And they ultimately help us to respond correctly in high-pressure situations, when times are challenging, when we're stressed, when we're worried, when we're scared, when we're sad. And last week, Pastor Eric talked about the importance of worship, that learning to see God's goodness and who he is and what he does is a skill that we have to develop over time as we meditate on his works and his person. But that heart of worship defines so much of how we see our lives. And this morning, we're going to talk about another important wisdom psalm and another skill, another way we can train our hearts for what's to come, and that is the skill of delighting in obedience. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 1. Now this is obviously the first psalm in the Psalter, and scholars suggest that when you know, editors compiled 
the Psalter and kind of placed it all into order. They put this psalm as the first psalm for a very specific reason, because it was going to set the tone for all the psalms to come. That in order to truly appreciate the rest of the Psalter, we would need to understand the foundation that was laid in Psalm 1. So let's read it and uh, talk about it. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on it day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Now at the heart of this psalm is two contrasts. First, there is a contrast between two paths, two ways, the way of blessing and the way of destruction. Now, one of the distinctive things about this psalm uh, and all of the psalms, really, is that they are extremely black and white. There's no middle ground. And the psalmist here is inviting us to consider that we have a choice to make between this life of blessing that's like being a healthy tree planted in nutrient-rich soil or a life of destruction that he compares basically to dust scattered in the wind. And throughout the Psalms, this type of contrast is described as two paths, almost like two hiking trails. And the psalmist imagines us standing at a fork in the road, each of us with the opportunity to choose which path will I take. Now, you know, there's really no comparison between these two paths. It's not supposed to be a hard choice. Like, imagine if I invited you to go hiking with me, and I showed up at your house in the morning, you hopped in the car, and I said, okay, I've got two choices for you. I picked out two different hikes for us to choose from. The first of them, trail one, is so beautiful. It's a good workout, but it's not too difficult, very shaded. You know, there's beautiful views. We'll probably see some deer and other woodland creatures. Trail two, your second option, is pretty ugly. It's barren. It's dry. It's really steep and tiring. There's sheer cliffs on each side, so there's like a 50-50 chance you'll fall to your death. There was actually somebody who got attacked by a mountain lion on this trail yesterday. There's poison oak and mosquitoes. So which one do you want to choose? That's an easy choice. And that's the tone of Psalm 1 and these two contrasting ways of living, the way of blessing the way of destruction. I mean, just the names of those paths, those ways are pretty obvious. But see, in order to get onto the path of blessing, in order to experience this first trail we want to take, there's a second choice. There's a second contrast. And there's a question that ultimately defines the spiritual and emotional life of the reader. And it is, will you delight in the law? Will you find joy in the law? This is the skill that the psalmist wants us to develop. This is the spiritual muscle memory that we need uh, for the hard times, for the ups and downs. Genuine delight in the law. 
Now, we need to parse this out a little bit to understand what exactly we're being called to do. This uh, word law is not simply referring to moral instruction. It's not just talking about the Old Testament law or the Ten Commandments. It's not rules or regulations. Uh, the word that's used over and over again here is Torah, the Torah of Yahweh. And this is such an important word for Israel. At times, the Torah could refer to the first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures, but the idea of Torah was much, much broader than that. To consider Torah, to consider Yahweh's Torah, was just what does God want for my life? How does God want me to live? Torah was God's instruction, God's will, his purpose, his design for how we were meant to live in this world he created. And so obviously, Torah is reflected in things like the Old Testament law, in the Ten Commandments, in the teachings of the New Testament. We see God's design for our life in those things, but there's a bigger picture. It's how God wants us to live. And so as we talk about the law in this passage, and as we talk about the law in the other Psalms and throughout this series, uh, we're not talking about a set of behaviors. We're not talking about a legalistic, dogmatic adherence to rules. We're not talking about earning salvation or all this stuff that's opposed to grace. Instead, we're simply talking about how God wants us to live. And so over and over again uh, in the Psalm 1 and throughout the Psalms, the psalmist will say, this is my delight. This is my joy. I love it. I cherish it. And on one hand, what we see here is clearly an emotional response. This feeling that the psalmist has towards the law. But at the same time, there's also an act of the will that's taking place here. The psalmist is saying, not only do I feel great about it, but it is my greatest desire. This is what I want more than anything else. And so I'm going to seek out the law day and night at all times. Notice that the law in Psalm 1, right from the beginning, is contrasted with the influence of sinners and mockers and scoffers. The psalmist says that to delight in the law is to consistently and joyfully turn away from the influence of sinful people and toward Torah. Now, I don't know, when I first read this passage, I always kind of skip over that part, like, yeah, I'm not going to listen to wicked, evil people. I kind of have this mental image of my, in my mind of, like, evil guys in black cloaks, like Emperor Palpatine, and they're all like, ooh, come follow me. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. But what we see throughout the Bible is that what the psalmist is pointing to is not obvious wickedness that like we're no one's going to follow it's people of influence it's the exact kind of people who we are prone to following and obeying and listening to people who offer exciting interesting enticing ways of living people who offer alternative ways of experiencing blessing things that look good and seem good if we've learned anything from the biblical story it's that the way of sinners and mockers and scoffers, it always looks great to us. And so if we're going to wrestle with the reality of Psalm 1, we have to kind of accept that. We have to imagine these sinners and scoffers for what they are, people and options and ways of living that seem to offer wisdom, that seem to offer their own version of blessing. 
And so what the psalmist is saying here is he's saying, all right, here's the skill. Here's the goal I have for you. Choose God's instruction over anything else, over all that other stuff that looks great, and do so joyfully. Do it with delight. Now, I think if we're honest, that sounds good, that sounds great, but there's also some tension for us in that language. As much as we understand the call to obedience, this invitation to follow Jesus, we understand that God's will is something we need for our lives. I imagine realistically, the first word that comes to mind when you think about obedience is not delight. That joy is not the first emotional response we have to the idea of following God's instruction, of obeying the law. Instead, a lot of times, what I think we experience is just a a begrudging acceptance. Uh, In this past year or so, something kind of strange and and sad has happened uh, in my daughter Kaya's life. And I'm struggling with it, but I'm, I'm working my way through it. She has, over the past, again, year or so, just gotten sick of, of Legos. She's just, she's just over it. She doesn't want to build them anymore. It's like not a good birthday present. And so the big reason she doesn't like it is because she doesn't like all the work you have to do, right? The pages and pages of instructions and fitting all the pieces together. She likes the end product. She likes having the set. She likes to play with the little figures. But she is just so done with the hours and hours of the tiny little pieces. And so the last couple sets that she's gotten, it's just kind of been like a, a mixed bag emotionally. Like, like she's excited for the thing, but it's also like this like dread, like, oh, I'm going to have to build this thing. Mom, Dad, you guys want to build it for me? And she'll, she'll sit down with it, and after like 15 minutes, like, oh, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it tomorrow. Now, Grayson, my son, is the complete opposite. He's still in like loving Lego world. He, he, he can't get enough of it. And he loves the process of building. He sits in front of it, and he's so focused. He's so happy. He'll, if he doesn't finish a set, he'll wake up at like 5.30, 6 a.m. The next morning, I'll wake up, and I'll hear the tinkering of the Legos out in the playroom. It's like Grace, Grace building his Lego. He's so into it. And Psalm 1 is inviting us to this kind of joyful, excited approach to God's instruction, Grayson with his Legos. But I think all too often what we feel like is is Kaya. It's kind of like, yeah, I I know it's good. And and I want, you know, I want what it offers me, but do I have to do it right now? Can I do it tomorrow or next week or later? Of all the things that I could be doing today to devote my life to obedience, to love it, to cherish it, I don't know about that. And so we are either left with this kind of lukewarm attitude, or maybe we just leave it for another time. We think about obedience. It's like, that's for later. That's for some other time. And so when we look at this, this, these two paths, the way of blessing and the way of destruction, it's an easy choice. But then when we look at the real choice that Psalm 1 offers us between delighting in the law, loving it, devoting ourselves to it, And choosing basically anything else, it's tough. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, enter through the narrow gate. 
for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. He says that path is hard to find. It's not as obvious as it seems. So the obvious question is, how do we find it? How do we cultivate an attitude towards God's instruction, towards obedience that reflects this Psalm 1 invitation towards delight in Torah? How do we experience attitudes that are less like begrudging acceptance and more like joy and delight? And you know, that's, that's the question, right? That is ultimately the question of all of discipleship. That's the question Jesus invites us to consider as well. And I think the Psalms provide us with an answer that's really simple, but also very profound and, and hard to apply. And it is this. We will delight in God's word when we trust that it actually does lead to blessing. That's simple, right? We'll delight in the law when we believe that it actually leads to blessing. Think about the logic of Psalm 1. It's, it's kind of strange and circular when you think of it. The psalmist is basically saying, blessed are you, happy are you, fulfilled are you, joyful are you who delight in the law. Why? Because when you delight in the law, you'll be blessed. You'll be happy. You'll prosper. Psalm 1.3 says, that person, or the one who delights in the law, is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. We have to develop a deep conviction that the way of Torah and the way of blessing is the same thing. It's the same road. It's the same choice. And that following God's direction, his instruction for our lives leads us to more joy, more fulfillment, more blessing, than anything else. Now, as simple as that sounds, I think we really struggle with this idea. And I think a lot of times we, we struggle to grasp the relationship between obedience and blessing, and we have a tendency to move towards two different extremes in that relationship, how obedience and blessing work together. On one end of the spectrum, I think it can be easy for us to try to define and control how and why we're blessed, what that blessing is supposed to look like. And so we can develop an attitude kind of of entitlement and expectation. The most extreme version of this is the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel. And I don't want to get too much into the weeds of this, but if you're not familiar with it, basically they understand biblical prosperity as physical health and material well-being, material blessing. And so when we're obedient, we should expect not to get sick and, and, and to have a lot of really nice things, to be rich, to have fancy car, nice house, be on the top of the food chain. And if you don't have those things, it's probably because you're not obeying enough. I think most of us can see why that's a little bit problematic, but I think just little seeds of that can make their way into how we think, into how we view God. And we might not expect 
all of that. I don't expect to drive a Range Rover and live in the nicest neighborhood in my city. No offense if you drive a Range Rover, that's awesome. But we expect, hey, maybe God should give me just this. I've been obedient. I've followed him. So is it too much to ask that he gives me this? When we're suffering, we think, you know, is it really fair that I'm struggling with these problems when this has happened to me? after all these things I've done. And this can lead to a relationship with God and a thinking between obedience and blessing that's just tainted by disappointment, frustration, when our expectations aren't met, or pride and idolatry and greed when we do get what we want. It also leads us kind of to this theology of comparison where we say, well, I'm not really blessed Because I don't have what that person has. I don't have the things that they have. My family doesn't look like that. So how can I really be blessed? Now, this end of the spectrum is clearly not what Psalm 1 is talking about. But on the other end of the spectrum is an error that I think is a little more subtle, but just as damaging. And it's the belief that there is absolutely no relationship between obedience and blessing. I think sometimes we want to avoid any hint of prosperity, theology, or or, uh, earning uh, God's favor. And so we're left with a belief that blessing is completely outside of our control. God is sovereign, and whether we are good or bad, obedient or sinful, he does what he wants. And we might believe that, that God is good, that he wants to bless, even that he wants to bless us, but at the end of the day... There is no rhyme or reason to who he blesses and why. So we just kind of have to throw up our hands and hope for the best. As my kid's preschool teacher would tell them, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. Sometimes that's how we view God's attitude towards us. But this error is actually kind of problematic too. Because what it does is it leaves us in this constant state of uncertainty and anxiety. There's no way of knowing how to experience real good, real blessing in our lives. And what I think it does is it leaves us searching for blessing on our own terms. Like if there's no clear pathway to blessing in my faith, then I'm just going to go get it any way I can. I'm just going to go find blessing. I'm going to find control in my life and all this other stuff. And ultimately, it leads us to the same kind of idolatry as the prosperity gospel. I'll look for control. I'll look for the surest pathway to blessing in money, in power, in authority, in possessions. Psalm 1 rejects both of these extremes. Now, we have to remember, this is important. God does not promise us specific material blessings. There's no guarantee that we'll be rich or healthy or powerful. And in fact, as we talked about in our last series, Jesus says, hey, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross, lay down your life. That's where we're headed. But at the same time, what God tells us is that God's blessing are not, and provision are not random. He says that when we follow him, when we take that hard road of discipleship, when we pick up our crosses, we'll still be blessed. The one who delights in the law is like a tree planted 
by streams of water, whatever he does prospers. Now, sometimes those blessings are spiritual. How we experience God's presence, his love internally with people in relationships. Sometimes they are material. God provides for us in physical, tangible ways, in ways that we could never have asked for or expected. And so the trick from the Psalms is to believe that God wants to, to bless us with all kinds of goodness, every kind of goodness in every aspect of our lives, and we follow him not because we want a specific thing on a specific timeline, not because we expect that life will never be hard or that we'll never struggle, but because we understand that it's the long path of obedience that will ultimately make us most happy. And there is an uncertain mix of spiritual and material blessings on the horizon for us. And it's going to look different for everyone. But the more we obey, the more we experience God and the good he has for us. And that's really one of the profound things that we see when we read through all the Psalms. That this Psalm 1 life of obedience becomes this crazy mix of spiritual blessing, material blessing, hardship, struggle, frustration, joy, overcoming, thanksgiving, more blessing, and more thanksgiving. And the heart of the psalmist finds joy in all of that with God's law, God's instruction as his or her north star. Psalm 19 says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Psalm 112, praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Psalm 119, even in a season of struggle, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth. Teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. What we see is an inner life tuned to joy in God's law, God's word, God's instruction. And so the psalmists, they're not afraid, they're not bashful about hoping for riches and wealth for their children to be successful. They're not hesitant to ask for help, to appeal to God's promise when times are hard. But it's all rooted in confidence in this pathway of obedience. 
confidence that the surest way to experience joy and life and goodness was to delight in Torah. Uh, right now, my small group is going through a study on rest and, and dealing with busyness. We're all, you know, families. We've got young kids, and time is just a struggle. And one of the sessions that's coming up is on the Sabbath, on the value of taking a day or just a set time within your week to stop and rest. And I think that the Sabbath is kind of a, a little bit funny, but mostly sad and kind of convicting example of how we can miss God's desire to bless through obedience. Because think about what the Sabbath command is. God's like, hey guys, listen. I want you to take off one day a week. I want you to rest once a week or set a time aside to rest, to renew yourself, to spend time with me, to be with people, your friends and your family. This is just how I created you to live. This is woven into the fabric of creation. And so if you do it, you're going to be happier. If you don't, I don't know, it's going to be harder. And when we think about the Sabbath, most of us, you know, it's like either just no, that's way too hard, there's no way I could do this, or it's kind of begrudging, like, okay, God says I should take a day off, so I'll take a day off. But all the while, we spend all this time feeling exhausted. We're so tired, we're so busy, probably the biggest complaint we have is, I don't have enough time, I'm busy, it's so hard, I feel so stretched thin. It's like God is like, here, obey. This is really good. It'll make you feel better. It'll literally make you happier. But it's hard to do. But the laws regarding Sabbath were about providing a pathway to a blessed, happy life. Here's another example. When Alyssa and I were uh, first married, when we were young and poor, we struggled with the idea of tithing, with the idea of giving 10%. It seemed like a lot, but we just had this conviction. We're just going to do it. We're going to trust God with it. And what's crazy is just all the ways that he has blessed us through that. On one hand, we uh, have a healthier perspective towards money. It's given us good boundaries and a healthy budget. But what I find amazing is just all the ways over the years that God has in unexpected, just unexplainable ways just provided for us financially. And I don't know how that works. I don't know how the material and the spiritual mix together. All I know is that I feel blessed by that decision. Here's one more. Five years ago, I didn't want to have anything to do with a small group. My mom would be like, you should be in a small group. I'd be like, no, I don't want to. But then I decided to join a small group, and now this small group is like, my favorite people in the world to spend time with. It brings me so much joy. It's brought my family joy, my kids joy, Alyssa joy. I can't tell you how much less fulfilled my life would be if I wasn't in a small group. And again, when we think about what happens when we obey, I cannot explain to you exactly how and why God will do it. I can't predict, I can't give you any sense of the specific mixture of material blessings and spiritual blessings and blessings that just come with perspective and how we view life. 
But I can tell you that I believe with all my heart, maybe this conviction is maybe deeper than anything else I believe about the Christian life, is that when we follow God's leading for our lives, we will be blessed. It is good. It is better than that other path. And this is the deep conviction of the Psalms that's meant to be ingrained in us. That's meant to stick with us through good times and bad. This certainty, this trust, that the more I follow God's Torah, God's instruction, God's will for my life, the more blessed I will be. And what we'll see in the coming weeks is that this applies when life is messy, in seasons of lament and anger. But the psalmists say this is still the reality that defines life. And so when I have nowhere else to turn, I'll choose obedience, and I'll wait for the blessing to come. And then when the blessing does come, when I come out of that struggle, I'll remember the way that God has brought blessing through obedience once more in my life. And this, I think, is the reason why and how we can delight in Torah. We can actually find an emotional response of joy and a will response of desire. Because ultimately it is all rooted in gratitude for what God has already done and what we know, what we are certain that he will do in the future. And so we can come to God's word, his instructions when we sit down and read our Bible, when we pray for God's leading, when we come to church, when we listen to a sermon, when we go to small group, when we make those hard choices of obedience that we don't really want to make, we can have joy instead of begrudging acceptance because we can look at all those things, all the ways God instructs us and say, God is loving me so much through this. God is showing me his grace and goodness by showing me how to live and how to find blessing, by keeping me on that path of righteousness. I can't wait to see more of it, and I'm going to look for it because I know it's coming. So as we close this morning, uh, I want to invite you to consider a God who does want to bless you. We're going to sing a, a song. This is one of my favorite worship songs. It's uh, called Captain. And it uses the metaphor of a captain and a ship to just reinforce this same idea. This song is basically a psalm reminding us that through uncharted waters, through scary moments, through fog and fear, God is leading us like a good, knowledgeable, competent captain who can get us where we need to go. And so as we reflect on that metaphor, as we reflect on the Psalms this morning, I'd invite you to consider not just that God wants to bless you, but all the ways he's inviting you to receive blessing through obedience. Let's pray together.